everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Maud, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Maud Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. This week we continue with our sports theme with 1984's The Natural. An unknown comes out of seemingly nowhere to become a legendary player with almost divine talent. It's a Robert Redford classic. But, you know, this wasn't a commercial success. It had a budget of $28 million, an opening of $5 million, but it only grossed about $47 mil. Okay, how, how did... Okay, you are Mr. Baseball. Since well, I've known you, you have always, you've been in love with baseball. How have you not seen this? Okay, so let me clarify that. I've been in love with the Texas Rangers. Potato, potato. They are a baseball team. Baseball was my first sports love. I mean, baseball was the first sport that I went to, that I saw games of, but this movie wasn't in the cable rotation. True. So, like, it didn't ever come on any place where you'd watch it regularly. And then, by the time I was into, like, watching, watching movies, there were so many other baseball movies out. I mean, you start with Major League Mm -hmm. and Bull Durham, which I hadn't seen until later, but then A League of Their Own... And The Sandlot. Sandlot. Field of Dreams. I have never seen that one. You know, and then the slew of kids baseball movies that came out after that. Baseball became, especially after the 94 strike, baseball became this common sports movie probably for marketing purposes. Like the MLB was probably ready to license any image they could because their reputation had taken such a hit Hmm. after the player strike. That that year ended without an actual World Series because they struck and did not go back to work. Hmm. I didn't know about that. If this had been a Disney release, mm-hmm. we would see it all the fucking time. Probably. Right? I think that's fair. But it's not. No. Also, the other reason I didn't wind up seeing this later was because I had a lot of people tell me, oh, the book is way more interesting and see, darker. I didn't know it was a book until I worked in the bookstore and I saw the book with the cover on it. I heard a lot of people talk about it, and that got me interested to read it before I saw the movie, Mm -hmm. because there's such a difference. Okay. Let's get into that writing, then. All right. Well, the book was written by Bernard Malab. Malamud. 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 Okay, there you go. He had written another book before this called The Fixer that was turned into a movie in 1968. And then after this, he's got a couple of smaller credits, but the next like bigger one was The Tenants, which was turned into a movie in 2005 with Snoop Dogg. Nicely done. Yeah. He had said that this movie legitimized him as a writer. That's fair. Yeah. The Natural became, as far as I know... There were some of my high school classes that read it. Yeah, whenever we had a summer reading at the bookstore, that this book we'd get more copies in. It would always be on like, you know, hey, baseball season's coming back. Let's read some books about baseball or buy you know, baseball players, that type of stuff. You but know, see, Moneyball, all those types of books. That's funny to me because this doesn't feel like a baseball movie. This feels like a Greek tragedy that involves baseball. Uh, it's funny you say that. I, I did read a little bit of the trivia. Oh, so you're not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, after seeing that, though, it really did cement a whole lot of the themes of the movie because this is a very broad fairy tale. It's not a sports movie per se. It's a it's a sports fantasy. Yeah. I think we both said that a lot. Bernard Malamud had said that he drew heavily on mythology 
for uh, the, his actual book. Roy Hobbs is Odysseus. He's trying to find his way home. Max Mercy is Vulcan. He's a god of fire and forging. He can make or break you. Pop Fisher is Zeus, the king of the gods. His uniform says number one. The judge is Hades, god of the underworld. Nemo Paris is Calypso, a sea nymph who had an affair with Odysseus, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's very heavy-handed when you look at oh, yeah. the, the IMDb trivia for this. It's like, oh, yeah. I wanted this to end like a true Greek tragedy, which maybe it does. Mm-hmm. Like, if we if you watch this in a certain way, you know, it has this button ending. But you could also see it as, look, he's already bleeding from his side mm-hmm. and he hits this home run. It's entirely possible that that last image that we see you could interpret as he died and this is this is his heaven what his, what his mind is in heaven right and it doesn't matter because you don't care not really but there is a level of i almost wish they had done that because it would fulfill that tragic hero circle for him more. It, it would lean into it and better and would feel it, it the story would feel whole mm-hmm. we did have two screenwriters on this we have roger town this is his very first credit writing credit he went on to do the recruit in 03 that starred al pacino and colin farrell low-key good popcorn movie i yeah. actually really like that one and then a bird in the air in uh 2011 okay. so you know he's been doing he's been doing some stuff a working screenwriter yeah. and then phil Dusenberry. this and one other movie are his writing credits he did a movie called hail in 1972 that took place in concentration camps and yeah. So the writing is kind of, meh, it's a sports fantasy. I can let that go. Uh, I'd like to read the book. <laughs> I think the writing is pretty subpar. I actually think it's not very good. The story is good. Story's good. But that's they've fair. got a lot of good source material to work from. That's fair. I mean, and that's why I want to go to the book. Cause I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think what's really weak is the dialogue especially between Roy and the female characters. Anytime Roy is not on that baseball field, mm-hmm. the writing feels really, really stiff and wooden. Well, they, they wrote those the baseball stuff very well. Yes. The baseball scenes are the best scenes in the movie. Fair. They're outstanding. The relationship scenes succeed but in spite of the writing. Right, fair, yes. And that's one of the big things about it. Well, some of those relationship scenes almost become noir in a really bad way. Let's get into our director. Okay. Uh, It's Barry Levinson. He did Diner in 82, then he did this. He's done a ton of stuff. He went on to do Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, which we covered in our Oscar series last year, Toys, Wag the Dog, Sphere, which we have big feelings about, and then most recently, he did Paterno on HBO. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's great. I mean, he's a good director. And he did the baseball scenes really, really well. He knew what he wanted to see. I mean, he did an amazing job. I think everything else is garbage because it's like a completely different film. This needs to be played as the Greek tragedy it is. And we can talk about this when we get to cinematography, which I think is the absolute best part of the movie to me because it's stunning. Mm-hmm. But... What I feel like is Levinson, because this is only his like second movie or his second big movie. Diner was his big, huge debut lightning in a bottle thing. Yeah. And then this comes right after that. Yeah. There is a style that is happening, but he doesn't always push into it and lean into it. He does go for that noir, darker angle. And this movie should never be dark. 
It should always be kind of light, soft focus. The feeling should be soft focus, especially in how the the look of the movie draws the scene out in order to play out this fantasy that we're seeing because it should feel always like a fairy tale mm-hmm. even though i i think what he was going for was that 1940s look a lot of times because he's he's trying to get the feel of the period in there mm-hmm. you have to match that with this fantastical story you're telling and i think that's that's the confusion there i think it's just inexperience more than you know just bad direction choices i re- i really liked all the baseball stuff i hate i hated like the office scenes the locker room scenes were kind of meh. i just uh... <laughs> is it because they're slow mm, eh, probably a little bit it's also a lot of meaningful looks back and forth that don't build any tension and i i th- i think the biggest problem is the writing yeah because that's, that's the biggest problem because and, and, the act- it, and he didn't help himself with the way he directed it they don't have any words to act off each other so redford and glenn close and everybody are desperately using silence to try to find something meaningful to grab onto mm. all right well let's get into these actors because we have some heavy hitters in this cast this is a big deal cast this, this is an important cast Lisa got to start with robert redford uh, we talked about him a little bit in The Sting. Uh, of course, this is after Butch Cassidy, Sting, Greg Gatsby. After this, he did, you know, Out of Out of Africa, Sneakers, Spy Games. And this is also after he started his directing turn and moving into independent cinema as well. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Robert Redford, he was the pitcher on his college baseball team at the University of Colorado. But he lost his scholarship because he started drinking too much. Mm. <laughs> I'm not shocked by any of that. So he does have some baseball talent in him, which was, you know, a good choice. Smart. He was 48 years old when they did this movie. So we talked about this. The first 10 minutes of this movie. Which take are, place when he's like clearly 18. Is laughable. Because laughable. He, it's, it's so much in profile. And then when him and Iris are together, it was played by Glenn Close who was 37 when this movie was made. And they're both like... They're in the 18, shadows 19. in the barn. Uh. So you, we can't see their faces. I was like, <laughs> they really should have just cast other people. It yes. would have been fine. Nobody would have had a problem. It's barely 10 minutes of the movie. Well, like, a casting call for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed person who could look they like a baseball player? They could have called Brad Pitt! Who has always compared been compared as his lookalike? He was too young in 1984, but yes, he was. No, he was. He didn't not. start acting until the late 80s. No, he would have. Nah, he would have. He would have been perfect. They could have found other people who could look like Robert Redford. It, okay, they could have gotten Brad Pitt. No problem. Whatever. Anyways, if this movie was made in 1989, I'd agree with you. No, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Well, you're, I, you're wrong though. No, I'm this not. time you are. I mean, Robert Redford, he's very pretty. But here's the thing. Nothing beats Robert Redford's smile. Nothing. He's got that smile. And we were watching this and I was like, our son's like that. And when he's you put... He's got that smile and that blonde hair. Well, and then put that soft, diffused light over him. Get that sunlight and his blonde hair. And you put him in baseball pants. I mean, even when, even in the scene where he's pitching to the Whopper. Yeah. Like... In that moment, yeah, he's 48. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't buy that he's that young, but you still get all that vibrancy from him yeah, you don't when care. he's throwing that pitch. 
And you're like, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's He is still Robert Redford. Next, we have Robert Duvall playing Max Mercy. He did MASH, Apocalypse Now, before this. So this kind of falls right in line as he's becoming amazing. The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 are before this? Oh, yeah. Come on. Robert Duvall did, like, everything. And he won his Oscar right before this with Tender Mercies. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say this. This is one of the rare instances where I feel like Robert Duvall should have been reined in a little bit. I feel like he's just a tiny bit over the top. He's very overzealous. I know he's playing, everybody's playing an archetype. True. So, you know, he's playing something extremely broad. But there's just, a he just steps over a little too far in this, I'm a smarmy reporter guy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It would have been nice to have a little bit more twist of the knife backhandedness to him instead of this just upfront snidely whiplash type feel i think he's kind of wasted i think he's incredibly important to the overall story well yeah he's the one who figures out who he is he figures out who he is he's the go-between for the baseball and the crowds and the owners and the managers i mean that's why he's the vulcan he makes or breaks you he's the one who pulls the strings ultimately that's why he gives that line. I'm going to be, I'm going to outlast you forever. And it's true. The writers will always outlast those players. I just think he's wasted because somebody didn't tell him to, hey, buddy, pull it back a little bit because you're coming across too broad. Yeah, I, I can see that. Next, we get Glenn Close playing Iris Gaines. Uh, before this, she had done a ton of TV movies, and then right before this, she did The World According to Garp and The Big Chill. So this was another one of her big, big deal films. Yep, right before Fatal Attraction. Yeah, Fatal Attraction was right after this, Dangerous Liaisons, and then she did the Sarah Plain and Tall series. I I, I think she's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's, again, this goes, she's written horribly. Yes, Iris is Everything's such a- crazy awkward. I knew the second we saw her and she said sign, I was like, yeah, that's his sign. Of course Because you think, oh, he's probably like five or ten, and it's just like, no, that kid's going to be 16, you're 15, 16 years old. Well, and they that's went his to kid. the barn in the middle of the night right before he left. What do we think they did? Well, that's, that's what we guess. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there were simpler times back then. Oh, come on. <laughs> I... Again, you can roll in the hay and not have sex. But this is this is that situation where I really want the context from the book, because Mm -hmm. I think in a book, this would have a much weightier emotional impact because there would be more of an explanation and you might be able to flesh Iris out more Mm -hmm. as a character. I think had they tried to do that, this movie could have gotten into like three hour territory and, you know, it's already long enough as it is. Yeah. Uh, Next, we get Kim Basinger as Memo Paris. Uh-huh. And she's horrible and overrated. And I've never seen Kim Basinger not be annoying. Strong opinions from Maud. Yes, I don't like her. <laughs> uh, I mean, before this, she said never, she did never say never again. And then after she went on to do Nine and a Half Weeks and My Stepmother's an Alien and Batman. Uh-huh. She's garbage and all those. <laughs> like... <laughs> She is. She's I haven't seen enough of her. I've seen L.A. Confidential. I think that movie's highly overrated. Mm-hmm. I, I th- agree. I think people are just like fawn over that. And I'm like, this is such a shitty version of what was so good about noir movies in the 40s. I don't know why you people think. I agree. This is so 100%. amazing. 
Uh, next, we get Wilford Brimley as Pop Fisher. Diabetes. The diabetes guy. Before this movie, he was most famously known from The Waltons. Oh, okay. That was that was his super... He's been in a million things. After this, he went on to do Cocoon and the sequel, The Firm, In and Out. I mean, he's been in a million things. He was also in The China Syndrome before oh, yeah. this. Okay, so we recorded movies off of TV, and so I remember from a commercial advertising for cocoon i have it stuck in my head i will never will never get sick and will never die like in his voice is stuck in my head yeah um he's great of course he is crotchety you know baseball manager baseball manager guy like who's who's a good dude but like you totally understand they sent me an old guy as a rookie i'm not playing you like i get it I get his deal from day one. Mom always told me I should have been a farmer. <laughs> I love that. Like, he's just, like, he has this great, amazing job as a baseball manager. And he hates it. He hates, he hates it so much. All of it. It's great. I love it. Except he's... that he doesn't want to lose it either. No. He hates it because this team is terrible. Yeah. And so he doesn't want to keep doing it. Next, we get Barbara Hershey as Harriet Bird. Uh, if you don't remember who Harriet Bird is, that's the lady who shot Roy. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care about Barbara Hershey. I mean, she's good in, in a lot of things. She was the mom in Black Swan. She was fantastic in that. Uh, before this movie, she did the right stuff. And she was also in The Last Temptation of Christ and Beaches. Who was she in the right stuff? Uh, she was one of the wives. Yeah, she's one of the wives. I don't remember which one. Yeah, she wasn't Glenn. Wait, I think she might have been Glennis Yeager. I didn't like that movie, so I don't care. She's just she's just there. The reason she's got big billing now is because she's been a longstanding act- character actress. At the time, I don't know that anybody knew who she was. Yeah. And so, you know, she's in the movie for the first 10 minutes. She does have the strongest presence of the three females, the three central female characters mm-hmm. in the movie. So I will give that to her. Like, she has a very defined character, mm-hmm. unlike the other two, where Glenn Close is just grasping at everything she can to make Iris into a real person. Fair. <laughs> Whereas Barbara Hershey's character at least feels fleshed out and purposeful enough that she can really sink something into. I'm just I think saying. it's easy to say that she's fleshed out because she's the villain. Maybe. But she's not fleshed out. Well, she's a villain. There's like 15. There are, but she's like the big one. Then we get Robert Prosky, the judge. Uh, He was on uh, 8 billion television shows, and then he had a stint on Hill Street Blues. In the 90s, he did Mrs. Doubtfire, Scarlet Letter, Dead Man Walking. He's he's done millions. He passed away in 2000. I haven't seen any of those three movies. You haven't seen Mrs. Doubtfire? We've talked about this. How do you not remember these things? Uh, Because I've slept since then. Yeah, I haven't seen Miss Doubtfire. Holy fuck, David. (laughs) David. (sighs) Like, I... uh, (laughs) I'm just, I'm disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Okay, next... We had the one. We do, that... wait, are we going to talk about Robert Prosky at all as an actor? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's there in the scenes I don't like. Oh. <laughs> That's about it. Now we get to the one that made me gasp. I was so excited. Richard Farnsworth as Red Blow. Uh huh. I love him so much. But you uh, love him for the weirdest reason. I do not. 
Okay, I'm going to need to hear from our listeners. If you know who Richard Farnsworth is, it's most likely if you're a woman in your mid-30s, you know him as Matthew from Anne of Green Gables. And if you're literally anyone else in the world, you remember him from being the old dude that won the Oscar for The Straight Story directed by David Lynch, a guy who rides on his lawnmower across America. Because that was a huge fucking cultural deal in 1999. Yes, because he was the oldest actor to be nominated at 79. Yeah, and it was a big fucking deal. Uh, well, it's also and a really big fucking deal about uh, Richard Farnsworth is that he didn't get his first acting credit until he was 43, but he has been in the movies as a stuntman since he was a teenager. Nice. Um, if you look at his IMDb credits, like the first... 50 are just unaccredited, unaccredited, unaccredited. And he's in basically every TV Western, every film Western known to man. He has been a stuntman in that film. Must have been a horse rider. Yeah, he did a lot of that. He co-founded the Stuntman's Association in 1961. Hell yeah. So he's hot shit. By the way, Labor Day, there's power in a union. So good job for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I love him from Anakin Gables. It's amazing. I'm going to make you watch all of those <laughs> because... <laughs> They're the best things ever. Oh, oh get ready it's for my Matthew. S- get ready for my savage smackdown. Okay, listeners, I really need you to tweet <laughs> us or put it put it on Facebook that you know Richard Farnsworth from Anne of Green Gables. Because David just doesn't believe me. He doesn't, and it makes me mad. Because I was just like, oh, it's a Matthew. And David's just like, that's bullshit. Nobody knows. And then he pulls up the IMDb. He goes, it is number four on his like most known four list. I guess you're right. I'm like, that's right. I'm right. This movie. He's he's great. He's he's the perfect foil for Pop. Correct. He's, and he's the nice one with the gentler hand. He's the one who takes Roy out for dinner. It's kind of, a, kind of like lays things out for him. Pop is the proverbial grumpy coach mm-hmm. and red is the player manager yeah. red is there to massage whatever's but like, going on but not just him every guy he's mm-hmm. there he's there to be like look what do you need buddy why are you in a slump do you mm-hmm. need something how can i help yeah and he's also there to you know keep pop entertained when they're on a winning streak like you know when they start singing songs together and pop is whistling a tune and red's guessing what he's singing <laughs> that's such a good scene it is good it's pretty cute that i love that Because you know that's just what you do. That's what you do in the dugout. I can't wait till we watch Bull Durham. Okay, I haven't, yeah. Anyway. Next we have Joe Don Baker as the Whammer. Ugh. He he had just been on everything on television before this. And then he went on to be in Fletch, Edge of Darkness, Mars Attacks. uh, All of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies as Felix Leiter. Yeah. And then he was in the 2005 Dukes of Hazzard. But... He will always be remembered by many from the 70s as Beaver Pusser and Walking Tall. Oh, yeah. Grab a grab a two by four and go knock out some bad guys. <laughs> he's good. I mean, he's got a very small role, but he's used well. He's clearly Babe Ruth. Yeah, he's trying to be Babe Ruth. Well, I mean, they, they're he's an allegory for Ruth and his presence in, in the majors. Oh, yeah. And just being the the legend, the, the legend that actually walks among the baseball players. Mm-hmm. To foil off of Roy, who is this out-of-nowhere legend. Hmm. This true tragic hero situation. No, Roy is based on somebody. Hmm. Let's get there when we get to trivia. Yes, we will. Uh, And then we have our random person of note, Michael Madsen, who plays Bump Bailey, the guy who runs into the outfield sideboard and dies, which did actually happen. 
Makes sense, actually. There's only one recorded like death in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. but I can imagine someone that, got hit in the head. Yeah, but I can imagine that there's tons of deaths that happened before organized baseball, mm-hmm. before whatever, when they you know didn't know what the hell they were doing. It is weird to see him so young mm-hmm. because most people's memories of Michael Madsen start with Reservoir Dogs. I know, but you know what he did before this movie? What he was in War Games and Saint Elsewhere. So, like, this is just, like, a bigger profile, but he's in it for very little. Well, yeah, he's, you know, he is a a specific character in the arc of the story. And he, he was 27 when he did this movie. Yeah, it's weird for- to see him young. Yeah, I forget how old he is. If you're thinking, hey, we forgot somebody, you're right. We have not talked about Darren McGavin, who plays Gus Sands. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Okay. Darren McGavin is not credited for this film. That is true. He was cast so late in the process that the studio was not going to be able to credit him and give him a higher billing. And so he decided, since he wasn't going to get higher billing, he was going to go uncredited. That's fun. Which, uh, funny enough, Robert Prosky said, well, that just gave him that much more attention because people are wondering why he wasn't credited. That sounds like an agent move more than a Darren McGavin move. Because, like, I, I get that. I yeah. do. He was a legit star. He mm-hmm. just came off being the dad in the Christmas story, for crying yeah. out loud. He, he And he'd always been a big character yeah. actor on TV. So, yeah, I totally get a negotiation saying, fuck you, man. I deserve to be on the fifth or sixth billing of this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care how late you cast me, put me where I belong in the credit, because that dictates pay. Like, that that's a whole thing in terms of the publicity. Regardless, in his role, he is very good. He is. Uh, again, the writing isn't... He does, he does well in spite of the writing. Exactly. Out of all the, the little cabal of evil in the movie, he's the one who feels the most threatening, mm. by far. Let's get into some of the trivia for this film. The breaking of the clock was actually based on a real event. Cool. That was done by Bama Royal, uh, Bama Roll of the Boston Braves in 1946. The Savoy special bat is on display along with Roy's jacket and Cooperstown in the section baseball in the movies. Big shock. Nah, yeah. Because this is a purest baseball movie if there ever was one. Yeah. Like every sports ri- white sports writer's dream. I need to be very careful about that because there's lots of people who know about a very different side of baseball. <laughs> every old white sports writer's dream of baseball is this movie and Field of Dreams. All right. Well, Roy Hobbs is modeled after a lot of different things that have happened. Uh, Redford modeled himself after Ted Williams of the Boston Red Sox. That makes a lot of sense. He was also a number nine. Yep. His big thing was that he wanted to be the best. Uh, Redford specifically modeled his swing after Ted Williams. Because Ted Williams the best hitter that ever played in the damn game. Mm-hmm. Roy Hobbs was also modeled a little bit after Shoeless Joe Jackson because of his involvement with the Black Sox scandal. Which we may have to cover at a later date in the movie Eight Men Out. Yes. They're trying to fix the World Series. Yes. And that was in 1919. The mob. Chicago. Yeah. And they threw the game, they got caught, and And they were banned for life life from baseball. baseball. And that began the life ban for any gambling. Yeah. Well, and Shoeless Joe's 
Jackson, also he had a name for his bat, much like Roy Hobbs. So that's kind of where they pulled that from. Eddie Watkiss of the Philadelphia Phillies. He was shot by Ruth Ann Steinhagen in 1949. She'd also um, murdered some other athletes, too. So that's where that bit of story came out of real life. I need to know that story. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I could have deep dive more into all that, but that's about real life and not oh, the actual its, movie. That's its own thing. That's that's from where the source came from a little bit. And this movie takes place in 1939, which is the 100th anniversary of baseball and is when the Hall of Fame was opened. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I got for trivia. Good stuff. All right. So now we got to talk about awards. Okay. This was nominated for four Academy Awards. Okay. Uh, Glenn Close for Actress in a Supporting Role, uh, Art Direction, Cinematography, Yes, and Music Original Score. Okay. All right. So let's, we'll start with Actress in a Supporting Role. Uh, I can already tell you no, but what, what, who were the nominees? We're up against Peggy Ashcroft for A Passage to India, Lindsay Krause, Places in the Heart, Christine Lottie for Swing Shift, and Geraldine Page for The Pope of Greenwich Village. Boy. Howdy, I don't know anything about any of those movies, <laughs> which means I don't know a whole hell of a lot about 1984 films. This is the this is the year of Amadeus. Oh, okay. That's true. This is Amadeus. This is also Temple of Doom. Yeah, this is this the is the Karate Kid, The Killing Fields, Peggy Ashcroft one. Okay, for art direction, it was A Passage to India, Amadeus, The Cotton Club, and The Natural. Amadeus. Amadeus one. one. Amadeus is incredible. Yes. Okay. Cinematography. Yes. Uh, this is Caleb Deschanel. Uh-huh. He did an amazing job. One of the things you and I talked about the second we were done with this film was how beautiful the baseball was filmed. Those last shots of him with the lights getting burst out, raining down on the players. It's, it's just beautiful. The whole setup of the last 20 minutes is perfect. Mm-hmm. The shots coming down from the crowd, the way they've set the camera. I, I've seen a ton of movies where he's the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. We're talking, of course, of Zoe and, and Emily Deschanel's dad, dad. Who has always been a cinematographer. He's directed a couple of TV things and one or two movies, but his main thing is cinematography. And he's, he's amazing. Everything he does has this touch. Mm-hmm. He is truly a, an auteur in that way of static shots with wide open views mm-hmm. and lingering in that moment. I mean- the scene where he and Iris talk about what happened to him mm-hmm. is in, is stunning because you don't hear you hear little fragments of dialogue, mm-hmm. just smart from the sound, but it's just fade to them walking down this hall in different shots. Yes, and it's just so expertly right down the middle. Framed. It's it's the right amount of sentimental. Exactly, he got at every moment the balance between this being a classic style 40s movie mm-hmm. and a fantasy and it always felt that way well and literally everything that was shot for the baseball films after this have tried to recreate and yeah. emulate oh I mean, yeah that that's one of the cool things about watching this movie was it's like oh this is this is an origin for so much of what we like about current films oh not or to the mention, ones that we watched when we were children and not to mention the ferris wheel with the sun setting I mean, which is beautiful. literally one of the most gorgeous things I've seen on cinema. It is it is an incredibly pr- beautiful movie. And that's all credit to him. Yeah. Well, he was up against A Passage to India, uh-huh. Amadeus, The Killing Fields, and The River. And he lost to Amadeus, right? He lost to The Killing Fields. Okay. 
Yeah. I haven't seen that and I really want to. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, because it's certainly memorable, is music original score. Uh, this is Randy Newman. I had no idea about this. So this is something you have to know. The Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. when they moved to the new ballpark in Arlington, mm-hmm. and I don't even think it happened initially when they moved there. It didn't happen until like the 2000s. But anytime they hit a home run, all of a sudden, you'll hear... It's the theme. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I had no idea what it Anytime was. Anytime they hit a run. Yep. Then later on, I, I read something where I was like, oh, it's the theme to The Natural. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. But when the credits came up and it said Randy Newman, and then I thought about that theme, I instantly went, oh, yeah, of course it's Randy Newman. Of course. It sounds exactly like Toy Story. It does. It sounds In like the best Buzz. way. It sounds like Buzz Lightyear when he's getting ready to fly. Mm. Like, it's nuts because it was I never knew it was Randy Newman. And then when they said that, I was like, oh, of course it's Randy Newman. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. And it's incredible. Uh, he was up against A Passage to India, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The River, and Under the Volcano. Did he lose to John Williams? No, he lost to Maurice Jane for A Passage to India. You mean Maurice Jarre? Sure. Is it J-A-R-R-E? Yes. Yeah, it's Maurice Jarre. Maurice Jarre. Sorry. He's a, he's a big deal composer, too. I'm not familiar, but yeah, he lost. It's he, not just the score. It's the way they use it that is so expertly done because it's, you know, we'll see him struggle when they're mm-hmm. trying to hit the ball. And then all of a sudden, when that moment comes, you know, everything slows down. The theme comes in and you're like, holy shit, something crazy is about to happen. We're, we're about to get to it. It's really cool. And it should be such a stereotype, an eye roll, but it's not. It works. Well, you would think it would be an eye roll to us because we've seen this played out so much on TV and using that exact music, but we're like, oh no, it works. I love it. That's a true testament. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's a testament to not just him, but to Deschanel and to Barry Levinson for Mm -hmm. catching that and the editors for catching that moment and being like, this is how we do this. And for using that as a leitmotif for this fantastical thing. All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else we haven't covered. I think it's time to rate this movie. What are you going to do for ratings? Because there's a lot of choices you could go with here. (sighs) How many Wonder Boys do you give it? I knew it. It's going to be Wonder Boys or Savoy Special. I like the Wonder Boy. Okay. I hate this movie for how (laughs) tropey and hacky it gets. Fair. But it's still fun. But it's still really fucking good. I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay. Because I can't ignore a lot of the really bad writing and kind of hacky choices. It reminds me in some ways of Kramer versus Kramer in that the performance. You know you're being manipulated, but you don't care. Yeah. and <laughs> And the performances and everything that everybody's putting into the movie surpasses this really kind of dumb story which kramer versus kramer was even more of that because the book was so normative Mm -hmm. and dumb and how it approached the situation and then merrill and dustin hoffman did these extensive rewrites to make it even more real Mm -hmm. this movie is 
it's so weird because for a lot of time you feel like Robert Redford and Glenn Close are barely acting when in reality they are acting so hard to try to make it feel natural between them. There was one review that I saw somewhere that was like, this movie eventually just charms you into (laughs) enjoying it. And it does. It just, after a while, especially once you get to the Knights and the team and the baseball stuff, eventually the charm of it just overwhelms you and it becomes really enjoyable. And so you you still laugh at a lot of the dumbness of it, but... You don't care. You don't care. And especially because of the way it ends, Mm -hmm. you're so bought in at that ending. You really are. So... Yeah, three and a half. It's a solid movie, and I would watch it again. It's just not one I'm going to go to all the time. I'm going to stay at a three. Okay. Uh, just because I really, like, there's all all the non-baseball stuff I did not like at all, and I don't care about any of those actors in those scenes. Like, I really wanted it to be just Robert Redford and the baseball stuff. You can throw away the rest, and I'm fine. Uh, you need that other subplot, but it doesn't need to be as drawn out as it is. It's just done badly, so I want it to go away. I get you. So I'm sticking at three. Okay. So what do we got next time? Next time we're going back to the ice, but for a different sport. We're doing the cutting edge. Oh my goodness. Oh, I remember seeing this in the theaters. 1992 you saw yeah. this? Yeah. I went on a date with my dad to go see this movie. That I don't sounds... know whether to roll my eyes or aw. Can I do both? Yeah. Aw. I can do both. Yeah. Weird. This was one of the movies that I made my dad see that he was like, that was actually fun. Oh, yeah. okay. Like, that's that's, like, that's adorable. Because let's be fair, I made my dad see a lot of shit movies. <laughs> um, yeah, and you've had it forever and never gotten to force me and sit me down and watch it. I think you're really gonna enjoy this. Maybe. I think you will. I think you'll enjoy it. Or I'll really hate it. Whatever. You're gonna watch it, so we'll go find out. But wait, are we gonna are we gonna subject somebody else to this? We're gonna have a guest. <gasps> So you'll have to be here next time to find out who our guest is. Oh, man. Ha ha. But hey, before we go, we need to talk about one other thing, which is we are now part of another super awesome, fantastic podcast. Oh, yeah. we Because uh, having three podcasts is not enough for either of us. Never. Um, I also have another one. I have a book podcast, which I think I may actually recommend The Natural on one of our lists. When we do Ooh. sports books, I think I'm going to recommend that. Okay. That podcast is called Living in the Stacks. But we were so nicely asked to join an actual play RPG podcast with some of our podcasting friends called Kids on Bikes. Uh-huh. And our first episode of our character building session has been released. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, everywhere. If you get if you get podcasts, you can find it. Except Spotify, which they're so hard to deal with. Just go find it somewhere else. Yeah, they're annoying. It's so good. It's so fun. Uh, it includes uh, Daniel Spencer, Kate Harlow. Who I was fortunate enough to get to talk Top Gun with on yeah. their podcast, Subverted Tropes. As well as Aaron King and James Anderson from Unabashedly Obsessed, and then James from Blink and You'll Miss It, who James has been a regular guest on Macintosh and Mod. And hey, even came on here to talk about Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, so we're having a lot of fun with a lot of other cool podcasting people. So if that is all up your alley, or you just want to hear a bunch of friends be goofy together, go check out Kids on Bikes. It's so good. Do it. it. Kids on Bikes. Kids on Bikes. Bikes on Kids. Oh, no, Cousins. Okay, bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Here, let me, I gotta write this down real quick so that I know which categories to go back to. Let's all go to the lobby. Art direction. Get ourselves some snacks. Bum, bum, bum,